Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey, friends, and happy last Friday of October. I hope that you have a great weekend with your family, however you guys are getting to hang out. My guest for today is Mary Morantz. Mary is a Yale Law School graduate and the first in her immediate family to go to college. She's the author of the new book, Dirt. It was released this past September about growing up in a single wide trailer in West Virginia before heading off to college. In our conversation, Mary and I discuss her story and how the book that she wrote really lays out her life in two parts. But that even though life in the trailer and life after the trailer, she's still so much the same girl. She shares how the tension of who you are and what you do is not where your worth is found. I love this conversation, how God has shown Mary where freedom is found from the comparison trap. You guys, holiday gift guide. It's one of my favorite episodes that we make all year long. In fact, side note, we're recording it today, which is so fun. Here's how you can make sure you don't miss out on all the goodness to the holiday gift guide is to subscribe to our newsletter. If you go to jamieivy.com slash newsletter, that's how you can subscribe. And then you won't miss any of our information about the gift guide. We always have such fun bringing you products that we think would be great gifts for you to spend your money on this holiday season. Okay, friends, here is my conversation with Mary Morantz. Hey, Mary, welcome to the happy hour. Oh my gosh, Jamie, thank you so much for having me. I told you right before we hopped on, but there were actual happy dances that happened (laughs) when I got the text about this. So it's a huge honor. So thank you. Well, I'm so happy to have you and to talk about your story and your book and your life and all the things. And so introduce yourself to my listeners real quick. Yeah. So my name is Mary, Mary Morantz. And I have one of those weird, my first name and my last name have the first like three letters Mm -hmm. the same. Yeah. So it sounds like a made up name, but it's It's real. It's my husband's name, so I can credit him. And so I grew up in a trailer in West Virginia, in a single wide trailer. My dad's a logger, very rural West Virginia, you know, just like kind of like the the 1980s rural West Virginia existence, basically, 80s kid here. And then I ended up going to Yale Law School, which is not a normal path that I think a lot of, you know, single wide trailer kids end up. And so, you know, from there after that, I figured I was already like, you know, really not doing the norm. So then we decided to start a wedding photography business with my fancy law degree for about 15 years after that. And then I've just written a book that's sort of like the story about uh, Trailer to Yale Law. Wow. Okay. Well, your book, Dirt, came out September 15th. Yeah. And so congrats on that. Yes, and that you. is your story. And this is your first book. Am I right? It is. Yeah. Okay, so give us a little Cliff Notes version. I definitely do not want you to, you know, spill all of the book to us because I 
I want to be intrigued when I pick it up and read it as well. But give us a Cliff Notes version of what that journey from your family life took you to Yale Law School. Oh man, a huge part of the journey of dirt, I feel like. And it's actually, we just released a video of the making of the cover. And if you're listening and you kind of want to get that visual, you can kind of go and Google it or go to thebookdirt.com and check it out there. It the actual trailer on the cover is the trailer I grew up in. And it's actually a photo my husband Justin took the first time I took him home to West Virginia. And I feel like in a lot of ways, that cover represents the journey of dirt because it's about taking something that's a part of your story that for years you tried to hide away and you tried to like keep in the corners and in the shadows out of this place of shame because you feel like to share that part of your story would make other people turn their faces away from you in some sort of sympathy shame on your behalf. Mm. And it's actually realizing that this story that you have was never a shackle. It was never this thing holding you back and, and disqualifying you from things before you even begin. And it's getting to this place where you actually not only embrace this story, but you're willing to put it out front and center. And so to mm. actually, like when we first were designing this cover, I was like, guys, maybe we could have somebody like do a drawing of the trailer. Maybe we could do like an illustration, like a fiction book, because the book does read kind of like a novel, honestly. Um, it's memoir, so it's very like, you know, there, there's dialogue and characters. And I realized that putting out a drawing of the trailer was me still trying to like hide behind these mm. like layers, these renderings of ourselves we put out there. And to actually end up with that trailer and that photo on the cover is the journey of dirt. It's saying, hey, this is me. This is the story that built me and I'm putting it front and center. Mm. What was it in your life that made you think, I need to keep this part to me and secret because like you said, you might start to believe what other people are thinking about you. Do you remember like a vivid first memory of thinking, I need to be careful with what I share? I don't know. I don't know exactly when. I even have this line in the book where it's like, I don't know when it happens that we like decide to wish for other people's stories. Like one day we're playing freely in our room and unaware of the reflections all around us. And the next second, every mirror becomes an enemy. And that's true for a lot of people in a lot of different ways, you know, where we start to hold this mirror in front of our lives, in front of ourselves and wish for someone else's story. And a huge part of this book is about this like, you know, journey of like wishing that I could somehow transform the trailer overnight into a real house. Big mm. air quotes around real house. That if the trailer could become a real house, I could become, my story could become real. I could have a real mm. chance at life. And so I don't know for kids who grew up in a trailer when they first start to learn that that's not desirable by society or that they should be ashamed mm. of that. But I do know that for me, part of it was that, you know, our trailer started to leak, the ceiling was caving in, then the floors were caving in, and, you know, then it heats up in the summer and fall, and it, the whole place starts to smell like mildew. And so the trailer starts to follow you when you go to school because mm -hmm. your clothes smell like mildew, you know, kind of clings to your clothes and your very dignity, I say in the book. And so I think maybe it was partly that, you know, just bringing people home and realizing that, like, nobody where I'm from necessarily has super fancy houses, but this one was maybe especially rough. Yeah. What was your relationship growing up with your parents? What was that relationship like? You know, I think like my parents are, they're both two of the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire life. And they got married super young. My mom was 17 when they got married. They had me when she was like 20. Yeah. And I just feel like they're two really good people and two, like they have good hearts, but they like got started on kind of a really hard story to get married that young. Yeah. And, you know, in the book, I kind of talk about when I was about nine, my mom started traveling for work. And so they sort of separated, but she would be back like every couple of weeks. And I think like they both in very different ways 
wanted better for me than what they had. That's a huge mm. like revelation in the book is yeah. just this, like I say, the first wave of empathy I had was for little Mary and like going back to her and saying, I'm sorry, I've spent my whole life telling you to run harder and try harder and do more and be more. And the second wave though was understanding that there was this version of my parents who were the little them as well. Mm. And you know, my dad went to work in the woods logging when he was 12. My mom didn't have running water. She only got one pair of shoes a year for school. Her first toy didn't happen until she was six, and her stepdad found it at, like, dump and had to wipe it off to bring it home to her. And so for them, just the fact that we had electricity, that we had running water, that I got toys, that I, you know, we did some school shopping. Like, to, I wasn't working when I was 12. To them, it was already a huge leap forward than what they had. And so I think, like, there was this tension, and this is, like, a huge tension in a story like this, of, like, to them, my life was already better, and yet they also wanted more. And for Mm. me, it's like I wanted to go build more and have a better life, like that good life, whatever that is. And, like, how do you leave a place without saying, there is something irreparably broken? Like, I want to leave, therefore it must be broken, you know? It must be no good here. So that's kind of, like, a tension of it is they're both incredibly hardworking. They're both, like, very... West Virginia, I would say they're very like Appalachian of like, you just work hard and you don't complain about it. And I think there's a pride there that it can feel like I'm disrespecting my story if I want more than that. Mm. Yeah. Have you felt that in the writing and the relation to this oh book? Like I'm disrespecting my story? Oh my gosh. Just about every night when I wake up at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, yeah. I've really done this. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. And with Dirt, there was a, a first draft that we turned in in December. I turned in in December. And that draft was very different than the book that you hold. It was... In what way? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the first time I was really putting any of this on paper. So I like to say draft one was for me. Mm. And I didn't realize that at the time. And so draft one was a much angrier, more bitter, just like kind of like a misery memoir, they call it, where it's just like, let me tell you hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. And I turned it in to my editor, Kelsey, and I thought I was, I was like, we're done. I think this is like the best first Uh draft that's ever been written. You (laughs) know, I saw my friends for like a movie and I was like, yeah, I think we'll like fix some commas and stuff. And I think we're done. (laughs) Hilarious. And so what happened was she was still finishing up a project. So I didn't hear from her for a day. And I was like waiting for that like message, like, oh my gosh. And in that just time, like beat that I was able to take, what happened was I always like to say it was kind of like the Ebenezer Scrooge moment on, you know, Christmas Carol. Like, Mm -hmm. is it Christmas morning? Have I missed it? And like you see a glimpse of your future and it's a future you do not want. And I did not want that book on shelves. It was not what I wanted this story to stand for. It was lacking grace. It was lacking victory. It was lacking redemption. It was lacking reconciliation. And it was lacking me being able to talk to the reader because I had gotten it into my head that memoir was not allowed to acknowledge the reader. Mm. So we stripped it down. I cut out 50,000 words and rewrote them in two months between draft one and draft two to get to this book that you hold now. And this book, the day we turned it in, you know, and it was finished, and I was like, it can be on shelves right now. Like, I'm ready. This is the story that I'm proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I find that so interesting, too, about how you had to work through that for yourself. And I think a lot of memoir writing, sometimes it does feel like this is for ourselves as well. If that, you kind of said what the first book represented, that there was a lot of like, okay, this is my healing, maybe my anger and stuff. And then this one had a lot more grace and redemption. What do you want? And it could be all those things you just said. What do you want the reader to feel when they close the last page of this book? I think there are two things. And the first one I knew going into it like I was like, oh, this is what this story's about. And the second one really took me by surprise. And so the first one was this message of you cannot achieve yourself, achieve your way into worth. 
Because what happens is for a lot of us with hard stories like this, something, a switch flips inside of us and we start running, you know, we start running from that trailer, for example, and we run and we run and we don't feel like we can stop. And one of my favorite parts in the whole book is this scene where I said, you know, if I was making a joke here, I would tell you that my running was like Forrest Gump where they hand him the football and he just runs and runs. Nobody tells him when it's, you know, time to stop and he just goes into the end zone and beyond victory after victory. But my running is not like that. My running is like the girl in the red cape running her way, escaping her way out of the deep, dark woods, branches clawing and scratching at her clothes, her skin, leaving pieces of her behind like breadcrumbs. And running out of that breathless and wild-eyed, I look back over my shoulder and I see it. I am the girl in the red cape, the big bad wolf ripping at her heels, but I am also the wolf. And that voice in my head telling me to run and not stop running, that it will never be safe for me to stop, that voice is my own. And so I have yelled red-faced and hollering at that little girl. The, the book is divided into the girl in the trailer and the girl after the trailer. And the girl after the trailer has, you know, run ahead of and behind and alongside of that little girl screaming at her about how she has to do more and be more and try more if the world is ever going to love her. Mm. And so a huge journey of this book is saying you can go out, literally, you know, literally trailer to Yale Law. That's the number one law school in the country. And I still felt like I wasn't enough. And yeah. so like... If achieving's not going to do it, if gold stars and brand labels are not going to do it, where do we go back and find healing? Where do we go back and find that worth? So that was the first one. And then the second one is just that really took me by surprise is how possible reconciliation is when grace really gets to take root, you know? Mm -hmm. So what happened between draft one and draft two is I ended up doing like a three-hour phone call with my mom and I was able to ask her stuff you know, learn stuff I never knew, remember her version of events. You know, there's this great adage that says drafts of a book should go from true to truer to truest. Mm -hmm. And so my first draft was true in my perception of it. It became truer when I got her mm -hmm. side of it and my dad's side of it. I also did calls with him. And then truest is what is my story in light of what God says about it? Mm -hmm. And so that's the other part that really took me by surprise is I think this yeah. book is going to become an anthem for people picking up the phone and having calls with people mm -hmm. they thought they were done with. You know, yeah, so. yeah. One of the things that you were just talking about, of you know, I think it's so amazing that you talked about when you said, you know, from trailer to Yale, the number one law school, and you still felt like I didn't find that worth. Yeah. What were things in your life that made you start to believe that your worth did not stand on who people say you are or what you do? What did that journey look like for you? Like what made me start feeling that way in the first yeah. place? Yeah. You know? Well, it, maybe what's made you feel that way where I had to achieve my worth. I really am interested in like, how did you start changing those things? Because whether we have your same exact story, we all struggle with figuring out where we get our worth from. Yeah. And so I have specific ways that I've seen that kind of change in my life. What does that look like for you? Yeah. How did you start to believe that your worth was not from those things? Mm. One of the key scenes and key kind of moments where this happened for me is I started working with a goals coach about five years ago named Kim Butler from the White Boardroom. And we do monthly coaching calls and she texts me daily morning and night to see how I'm doing on my goals that day. And then at the end of the year, she flies up to Connecticut and we do like a two or three day intensive where we look back at the year and they look at the year ahead. And so a couple years back, she was here. We were at this kitchen island and she brings her, it's the white boardroom. So she brings white big poster boards, you know, and we had already like, she writes my name in big letters at the top. We'd already written out all these goals for the year ahead. And I just looked at her and I started crying and I said, I'm the unhappiest I've ever been. Oh. And she was like, we were kind of talking through that. And she was like, you know, really kind of pushing back on like, you know, worth and talent, the parable of the talents, which I was just reading in your book again today mm -hmm. um, about the parable of the talents and how like they're meant to be used and to, to whom much is given, much is expected kind of idea. And she, but she was really pushing back on like, 
but that's not where your worth comes from. That's not where your identity comes from. And so she said, she was getting kind of like fired up in that like Kim Butler sort of way. And she started crossing out all these goals that we'd just written down. And she like taps on my name really hard on the board. And she said, who is Mary? If none of these things happen, if not a single one of them comes true next year, if you can't tie any one of these to your name, like who is Mary without all of these goals? And like, I knew what I was supposed to say. I knew what she was going for. But instead I just looked at her in that moment and I went, nothing. And then we both kind of like, you know, wide eye emoji at one another, like what in the world just happened? And that was when I realized like, oh, we really have to start working on this. And so the practical answer is we just started working through, like strip it away. Like so much of my life is based on like what I thought the good life was looking at other people growing up, looking at TV, Full House and Who's the Boss were definitely right. a huge influence. You know, the house yep. in Connecticut, the Golden Retriever Dogs. Uh-huh. And we started saying, you know, if I couldn't walk into a room and say, oh yeah, you know, you know, there's this part in the book that's like was super vulnerable to write and it's talking about my like need to have my achievements introduce me when I walk into a room and I say that like, I imagine having like a butler, like Dwight Schrute from The Office who walks, you know, like there's this episode, this random episode where he's announcing people at a farm dinner. He's putting on for the new boss. And I felt like if I couldn't have those achievements introduce me, if I couldn't mm-hmm. like word vomit all over people about going to Yale, like growing up in a trailer and going to Yale and, oh, we have this business and, oh, we've traveled here and we photographed there. It was not to like be like, oh, be so impressed with me. It was like, let me just assure you, you're not wasting your time with me. Mm. Let me assure you that I have connections or that I have experience. For me, it's never about like, oh, let me be so impressive to you. It's like, let me assure you, you're not wasting your time. Mm. just by spending time with me, that I need to tell you that I will give you my experience or my connections or I can help you with this or like, you know, I can put you in touch with this person because there's just some inherent belief that like just me without all that other stuff as like an old soul and a witty sense of humor and an 80s movie speaking fluent quotes ability that like that isn't enough, Mm. that it has to be like once you know this about me, then you'll care. Mm. And I think that's the journey for a lot of us. I think that's the journey for a lot of people listening is when I have enough followers, then you'll care. When I have Mm -hmm. enough downloads, then you'll care. When I've written a book, then you'll care or whatever the case may be. When I have outfits like her or home decorated like her or walk into these conferences and people know me, whatever it is. And the hard part about that and the devastating part about that is every time one of those boxes get checked, three more appear in their place. Mm -hmm. And you'll spend your whole life chasing more just to realize that every bit of that more makes you actually feel less. It makes you feel yeah. smaller because it's just like, when is it ever going to be enough? So I think to, to answer your question about practically how do you do that, stripping it away, if I'm not this, if I'm not that, and keep mm-hmm. going. Just keep going layer by layer like an onion until you get down and figure out who you are if you didn't have any of that other stuff, what still remains. And also for every single person listening, I just think all of us have to have that experience of running after stuff a little bit, achieving a little bit and experiencing it on our own, that it numbs but never satisfies and how much Mm. quicker those dopamine hits come and how much more we need and how fast, how much faster we need them. And so to a certain extent, you just have to get exhausted of the running before you find a place of rest. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike. And it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. 
If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. It's so good. I think uh, the season that we're all living in right now with 2020 and COVID is I think a lot of people have had to come to those, even me in certain ways, had to come to that kind of who am I, Mm. not out of us laying down our things and not out of us doing, like you said, like stripping it away, but it being stripped away from us and going, who am I? And what does this make me if I can't do this? And, you know, God's been doing some really great things in people's lives, including mine, about how we do that. And so I think it's beautiful. Last question about your book. And then I have some more things I want to ask you. Do you have siblings? I do not. Only Only child. child. Yeah. I was going to ask you if your siblings had any pushback, but you don't. Mm. Pushback from your parents? You know, I think I do kind of talk about this in the book. I think like for my parents, my dad especially, he really wanted me to get out and achieve as long as getting out and achieving meant still being in West Virginia. So Mm -hmm. he's like a huge proponent of me going to WVU for undergrad and he was all on board. Like he was just like the locomotive pushing the train Mm -hmm. up till that point. And then my senior year of college, I got a scholarship a week to the day after 9-11 happened. I got the call that I could hop on a plane and go to England for a year. 
And I think that's when he was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> it's like you launch a rocket and then yeah. it keeps going and you're like, wait, 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 come back, uh-huh. come back. Yeah, yeah. And so I think like there was some pushback when I started, you know, I kind of caught the bug for expanding yeah. this vision for my life like he had had since I was little. There's a part in the book where I talk about my dad getting me ready for kindergarten. He was like so determined I would be prepared for kindergarten that he started doing these like workbooks with me that were on the like grocery store racks at the time in the 1980s. And by the time I started Mrs. Oliver's kindergarten class that fall, so like nine months later, he had me in a fifth grade math and a sixth grade reading level. Dad was not playing around. Dad was not playing around. And Mary, your brain was not playing around either. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, I mean, writing this book, I've had to kind of trace back like trailer to yell law. Like, Mary, seriously, how does that happen? I feel like those workbooks were like the first domino. Those workbooks is how it happens. Yes, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You said something in something that was sent to me that I found very, very interesting. And I'll set it up this way. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday. And she said to me, she said... She said that she was having a conversation with her husband. So she's replaying this conversation to me. And she said, she looked at her husband and said, you know that old hymn, It Is Well? And Mm -hmm. she said, I don't know how he said that. Like, I don't get it. I don't feel that. She was talking about some circumstances that she was herself walking through. She goes, I just don't get it. And then I see from you Mm -hmm. that you write to us and you said that you and your husband Mm. I've been walking through infertility yeah. uh, for a handful of years. Yeah. And you told me that you're at a spot where you can say that. Yeah. And so I guess I'm asking for a friend. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have yeah. to tell her to listen. Yeah. I guess I really am asking for a friend. What does that look like for you getting to that journey? Because mm. I don't by any means believe that that's been easy. Mm. Oh my gosh, no. So first of all, do you know the backstory for that hymn it as well? Is this the one where his whole family has died and he's stuck on a ship? Yes. Yeah, his family. So tell everybody, so. Basically, I think like he's a successful businessman in Chicago or something like that. And he sends his family ahead on a vacation to like London or Europe somewhere. And the whole boat, the whole ship there on sinks and all basically all on board perish. And yeah. so they, I think it's all on board or maybe there was one, maybe like the wife survived, but all the children were lost, something like that. So he has to get on a boat and go. And either he has just lost his fortune or he's just about to lose his fortune. Like he is like Job in the middle of this, just mm. everything is being stripped away. And on the ship that he's on crossing to go to Europe, the captain comes and gets him and says, hey, listen, we're, we're crossing over the place where it happened. Mm. And this is where this man writes, it is well with my soul. And it's like, what in the world? Yeah. Like talk about peace that surpasses any kind of understanding. So I wrote in the notes um, that I sent you about this, like we've been walking through this about six years trying to start a family. And probably in like the first three years, if somebody would have said to me, oh, don't worry, you'll get to a place where it is well with your soul. I probably would have punched them in the face. Right, <laughs> exactly. Get out of here with your nonsense. Like, what are you talking about? And honestly, like, that's what I can tell you is I think it is this peace that surpasses all understanding, but that's just so like, oh, nebulous. What are you going to do with that? I think for me, I walked out on the seawall by our house. We live on the Long Island Sound in Connecticut. And I would walk out there 90 degrees and sunny, 30 degrees and, you know, freezing rain. And I would just like cry these salty, stinging, biting, angry tears at God. And I am not afraid to be angry with God because I do not think he's afraid of our anger. I do not think he's afraid of our tears. I do not think he's afraid of our questions. I think he's like, you know, he, as long as we're talking to him, I think he's okay. And so, yeah, it was just, there were just three years of like, like really Mm -hmm. like, they're going to start a family. Mm -hmm. They're going to start a family. They're going to invite me to the baby shower. They're going to like tell me this over breakfast, like whatever. And I, it just felt like, why have you forsaken me? 
Why have you forgotten us? You know, and it felt very cruel because I knew that Justin and I would be such incredible parents. And it felt like it could be such a redemption story of like the generational, breaking the generational chains in terms of like what we will do with our kids. And I just did not understand it. And I do not understand it at this point. But I think part of what happened is like the, whatever that tank is that can grieve had just like, you know, I kind of picture like, I made this analogy with something else the other day, but it's going to work here too. It's sort of like adrenaline gland, you know, the adrenal gland, like you just mm-hmm. reach a, like a grief gland yeah. fatigue or whatever. Yeah. And I think what I realized, what really worked for me or what really happened for me was this realization of like, am I really going to put pause on not loving all of this other stuff in my life that are dreams come true, things I've prayed for and wished for and hoped for for years, all of them are discounted because of this one. And it's mm-hmm. a big one. Believe mm-hmm. me, it's a huge one. And I think that's, it sort of became that like, it is well, or that like, even maybe more to the point that like, even if mm. there's a song, I think it's right. Isn't, oh no, that's thy will be done. I was going to say from uh, Lady A. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know, like just some combination of like, even if you don't, even if you say no to this, God, yeah. are you still in charge? Mm-hmm. Are you still who you say you are? Yeah. Do I still love you? Mm-hmm. And I do, you know, but maybe. You, you came to the answer of yes, to all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a hard question. Okay. I'm going to drink some water then. Okay. I thought you were going to say, I'm going to drink some wine. It's like, oh, <laughs> if this was a happy hour later, we might. I know, right? <laughs> um, hearing that story, I think my favorite thing you just said is like you saying, am I going to forsake all of this other stuff Yeah. for the one thing that I feel? And, and it's a real, you do feel this way, like, God, you're holding out on me. Mm. And I think the thing about the listener is, all of us could fill that in with something. Why have you not given me a husband? Why have you not given me children? Why why are my children not running towards you? Like, why do I lose all the things? Like, fill in the blank. I think my question for you, Mary, and this is a hard one, and there's no right or wrong answer, okay? So you can't yeah. fail this test. Okay, good. If that never comes, mm. how are you with that? I think like the if it never comes, we are at the stage of Let's move into that stage, however it happens. So we are, for the first time, becoming really open to the idea of adoption. Come on with that movie, Instant Family. Like, what are you doing to me, Mark Wahlberg? I know, right? What I on earth? like a baby on airplane watching that movie. <laughs> we had never entertained the idea of adopting yeah. or, you know, I don't want to say especially, but like, you know, fostering yeah. felt even more overwhelming mm-hmm. until that movie. And we were like, ooh, my husband and I were both like, wait, was that a message? What's happening? That's and then it's just continued, like, this is a really random example, but we actually ended up adopting, not at all the same, but adopting a senior golden uh-huh. in February. And like, he's one of us now. And we love him as if we've had him since he was a puppy. So I'm like, okay, was that another like little preparation stage? So I feel like we have now moved from like, nope, it's got to be this way. It's got to be mm-hmm. us. The only reason I would ever want kids is for it to be this combination of Justin and I out into the world outside of our bodies. And now I'm like, you know, I just feel like whether that's through, we did IVF. This is getting real personal. I'm like, please no, I'm not, you don't have to tell me any of this. I just would love how you were saying that you were feeling like, God, it is well, like I'm with you. And I just am always curious, like, what does that look like to go all the way with him in that? Yeah. I mean, I think for us, like we were just truly in that place of like, I still feel like Justin and I were both like, we got married and we were like, ah, we're on the five-year plan. Ask us next year and we'll be five more years from there. And we were not in a rush to have kids. And neither of us were like, we're not like the people who are like, other people's kids come here. We love you. And then we both on a trip, we were together, we were in this like park and we both like our hearts just like instantly switched. Mm -hmm. And we were like, it's yeah. time. Yeah. And I legitimately thought for God to flip a switch like that so instantly. Was I was like, next month, 
Yeah. And right. I was like, okay, maybe the next month. Mm-hmm. And then and it was like six months. Yeah. And I was like, what's happening? And then you're like freaking out and it's like a year. And then, you know, uh, we're like the coming up on six and a half years actually. Yeah. And so I just feel like for us to go from this place of like, oh, we're not ready for kids to like, okay, we'll do it. But only because it's going to be like you and me yeah. to now be like, we just want to have a family and we just want to yeah. be parents. And like, I just think it's this like opening of our hands to like, I feel like God had to have put that like, you know, that promise or that that hole in your heart, the shape of the family or whatever yeah. people say. And so I feel like now what I'm expectant for is like, he's going to do it, but it's going to be in a way as he always does. Yeah. That's not how we expected and yeah. how he's going to surprise us. But I don't think it's fair to like totally just dodge that question because maybe the adoption doesn't happen. Maybe we don't qualify for fostering or what have you, or maybe something else happens. And, you know, we just never, ever, ever have a family. I think that would be a lot harder for me yeah. in all honesty. Yeah. Like I want to be able to say like, no, let me just go on the swells of this ship and write yeah. a ballad about how it'd be yeah. amazing. But I think for that, just because there is so much that could be stitched up in the redemption story. Yeah. And I'm like, hey God, give me the pen. I can write this mm-hmm. for you. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be yeah. a bestseller. Go for yeah. it. Uh-huh. I think that would be harder for me. I think um, you said exactly what I was thinking as you were talking about this story. I kept just thinking about this like open-handedness mm. of your story sounding like you and Justin are kind of at a point now where you're going, okay, God. I mean, it's not like, I'm not saying you weren't earlier, but it feels that way a little bit. And Oh, no. I in think, the beginning, I was like, God, listen to me. <laughs> Here's my plan. <laughs> yeah. This year at this conference, I'm going to say we're trying, and the next year I'm going to hold a baby. It's going to be right. amazing. Mm-hmm. There's going to be yeah. like a, oh, from the audience. It's going to be yes. incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and I, but I think there's a specific piece that comes to from living open-handed. Like, so you can have the piece of like, okay, I'm just, this is not how I thought. But then I think there's a piece too of just like, here I am. Like, here I am, God, send me. This is, I'm all yours. And I can feel that a little bit in what you mm. were describing. And I think just to encourage you, there's some goodness in that space as well of going, yeah. okay, here I am. Speaking of your husband, I would imagine that maybe you would have not thought that this ideal marriage would have been something that would have been yours to hold on to because of your family life growing up. How has that surprised you? And what has that been like for you as someone who didn't see a marriage that you would want to emulate and now having your man? Yeah. I mean, that's what I mean when I'm like, come on, God, like you've got (laughs) one more loop to tie up here. Like so many other parts of my story have been tied up in these beautiful bows. So I'm going to give you a quick example and I'm going to answer your question. I grew up in a trailer that smells like mildew and that felt like shame. Fast forward, however many years, we're buying our house, our first house here in Connecticut and still our house here in Connecticut that we've been fixing up for the last 10 years. And the reason we were able to get a house on the Long Island Sound is it was in foreclosure and a pipe on the third floor had burst and then they left it and it turned into mold and mildew. And so we walk into this house and it smells like mildew, like the trailer. And I'm like, like, what's happening? And I'm like, this is our house. And we buy this house and it's this beautiful, beautiful, like craftsman colonial on the water now. You know, it's like, who gets that for their first house? And it's like tied up in these great bookends of like from mildew to mildew. But Uh like when they stripped it down to the studs, there were 12 by 12 solid wood beams because it was made in the 1880s and the care with which it was raised up. And the integrity meant that none of the bad stuff got in. And I was like, the metaphors. <laughs> yes. So for me to have like, you know, I say at one point in the book to my parents, guys, I don't think I ever want to get married if this is what it's like. Like, no offense to you. And that's like the same summer I meet Justin, like when I least expect it. We, I'd just broken up with somebody. He'd just broken up with somebody. And I was looking for somebody. I thought I needed like another, you know, law school <laughs> in their head all the time, wound up tighter than a whatever. And in every way, Justin fills in my gaps. And he is the like calm 
and peaceful to the storm of, ah. I say I'm like the high wire tightrope walker. I'm like up and down and he's just a soft place to land. Right. And he's pushing us steady along the journey. And so in every way, he caught me by surprise. And in every way for us to have this beautiful marriage where it's going to be 13 years on October 13th. So it's our like magic anniversary. Yes. And he comes from like this long, long line of happy marriages that I now kind of like get adopted into, which is really yeah. cool. That is so redeeming in my yeah. story. Like I never thought that was going to happen. And so that's what I mean when I'm like, okay, God, you got one more. <laughs> <laughs> one more on thing to tie up here. And then this yeah. is going to be the best. Well, I love to hear that you guys are about to celebrate 13 years and marriage is one of my most favorite things. And I know that's been exciting for you actually to journey into a marriage that you probably never thought you were going to have. And so congratulations, friend. I think it's worth celebrating. I'm thankful for your voice and your words. And I, my hope for this book is just like you said, that people would see the shame that maybe they put on themselves or other people. And how do we throw that off? And how do we find our true identities and what that feels like? Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. I always end our shows with what are you loving and what are you reading? So tell me Mm. what you got for me. Well, I feel like, you know, having been in kind of like a crazy season, you know, the last few months, especially the last few weeks, you know, have been really, really crazy. And so what I'm loving are just things that make me feel like a normal human. I love that. Yes. In the midst of just not feeling like that at all. So this is so random. I've been rewatching Modern Family backwards. Okay. (laughs) Just like, what is that? Backwards. Backwards. So season 11 was on Hulu and I just watched it because I'd never really watched like, I'd seen like an episode here and there and I loved it. And so I was like, well, let me, because I'm like kind of caught up with them on this stage. Let me buy season 10. And then I watched all that. And then it was like season nine. I'm on season three right now. I have never heard of anyone doing this in my entire life. And that is hilarious. It's weird. It's weird. But it's really, you know, (laughs) they're kind of like Benjamin buttoning before. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And I'm just like, you know, we have, like I said, three very fluffy dogs who want nothing from me and just love me unconditionally, which is fantastic. And they're like, it's like three built-in therapy dogs, which is great. And Clementine's, I just eat about a dozen of those a day. Like we have, we should have stock in like the darling Clementines or whatever they are. And there's a song called The Story I'll Tell by Maverick City Music that I've pretty much been listening to on repeat um, because it says, I see what you're doing here in the ruins. I know that you're proving you're the God who comes through. And it talks about this, you know, my God did not fail. It's the story I'll tell. I know it as well. Mm. is the story I'll tell. Mm. So that's just been on repeat. And then what I'm reading, I just finished going through for probably like the third or fourth time, the Draw the Circle 40-Day Prayer Challenge from Mark Batterson. Mm -hmm. And there's a book called Consider the Lilies that Sherry Rigby, who was in the movie Overcomer, released this year that is just incredible. Mm -hmm. It's talking about like these women that are brought into our lives for very specific purposes and how 
each one of them is a prayer of praise, it's a prayer of thanksgiving, and how we can sort of think about how we can pray for them and that friendship and just like that connection and how lilies actually, their roots are like interconnected. They hold each other up. So that's just beautiful. And then your beautiful book I've been reading. I got the advanced copy of, and I was just reading today about what you're talking about in the parable of the talents and simple math and that these gifts we have are not for us. That was a great reminder right now when it feels like you want to just like take this thing you've put out in the world and hide it away. <laughs> yes. It's all mine. It's, it's all mine. Yes. Yeah. It's all, it's not. Well, thank you for reading my book. I appreciate that. Mary, thank you so much. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your time today. Thank and, you for having um, me. Yes. And we'll put all of this information to everything we talked about in the show notes. So thank you. Today's show was edited and mixed by the team at Podshaper and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a friend. Have a happy hour with a friend. Guys, my next guest is one that you have requested for a while. Jefferson Bethke will be here next week. You will not be disappointed in our conversation. It is so very good. Also, don't forget about our special episodes that we've recorded and released for you this month called Faith and Politics. I sat down and talked with my friends, Catherine Freeman, Eugene Cho, Amy Wolf, and Scott Sauls. We had conversations that were meant to encourage you and to help you remember that our hope is not found in this country or this election or a person, but in Jesus Christ himself. Knowing all of that, we can still go into the voting booth and we can vote with the knowledge that our king is not here, but he is on the throne and he is in charge of all of this. And I think Christians can show up right now in an act of unity and we can know that this is not our home and that our faith and our hope and our future does not rest on one political moment. You can find those by searching the happy hour for the faith and politics series. See you guys next week with Jefferson Bethke. Look around. You can find cars like these on auto trader, new cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay. No flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, They'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.